not much expected of you. <laughs> Listen, here's a uh, man. Uh, golly, pastor come up here and just, uh, I don't know if he laid it on thick or if he paved the road that I got to adhere to. But you know what, Pastor, I appreciate all those words and I appreciate all you guys. I really do. At times you may think that we take you for granted. We don't take you for granted. We take you along for the ride. And it's a bumpy ride sometimes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Man, it did my heart good to see my kids up here. You may say, his kids? Well, those aren't his kids. Those are my kids. Those are my kids. That's why I get upset when people mess with them. But then I had a bio kid up here. That's what I call my, my child. I don't know if you guys saw that, man. Makes me tear up. So you got to understand something. God, God will download things into me in dreams. And another place. I'm thinking and i got to say it. God downloads things in dreams and while I'm in the shower. It's the only two places where He can quiet me down enough. Where I don't focus on anything but Him. That may seem awkward, may seem strange to you, but that's, that's when my head is clear. That's when I'm not thinking about anything else. God showed me at one time that Kayla was going to be on a stage. And I got to see it happen. I don't know if you're aware of it, but my daughter was able to be part of a praise team over in Muncie, Indiana with uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. 1,500 kids there. And you got to understand, in this dream that I had, I saw my daughter standing on a stage and there were crazy lights going on and there were thousands of people there. I got to see that come to pass. But what a lot of people don't know is I got home and I got angry. What I had to be angry about, because it wasn't me up there? No. Because my kid was up there. And I said, God, don't you dare do that to her. Don't you put my baby in harm's way. Don't you dare let church people get to her. I know I'm sounding mean, I'm sounding harsh right now, but you know what? we got some stepping up to do around the church. This isn't even part of my message. I'm already angry and getting on people's case. So, the way that God always does, God listened to me. He said, I got you, and I don't care. Because I put a gift in that child, and I put a gift in those children. You see, because God believes there's a change coming in the part of the church people. He's going to correct some hearts. He's going to correct some mindset and some attitudes. So that when we walk in here, we don't go to our same seat every week. So that when we walk in here, we don't just sit down and go entertain me, Pastor. So that when we walk in here, we shake hands and we love on people. And we kiss babies. And we get to know people's names. And we do life with them. And we fellowship with them. See, you may not know it, but right now we're working on a program here at BWC. We're working on, on a program of small groups. Now, maybe you've been a part of small groups before and they scare you. Because people get silly. Okay, they do have the potential of doing that. But within a lot of small groups, there's no accountability. See, but we're changing that. If you're going to be part of small groups around here, you have to answer to a group of individuals. And you're going to be held accountable. And we've already got some of these small groups working. They're already in place. 
And there's accountability and there's teaching and there's fellowship. And it's going amazing. It's a test program or a pilot program. And we're looking and seeing what we need to do. How can we make these things work? How can we make more of these? Well, first of all, what we understand is we have to make more leaders. We have to make more teams. And that's difficult because when you deal with teams, a team is nothing more than a group of individuals. And there has to be continuity and there has to be flow. And people have to get along most of the time. It's okay to disagree, but when you walk away, walk away in one accord. Amen? i got to move on. I want to say thank you to Frontline. They didn't perform today. And that's the reason why I want to thank them. They made way for Elevate to come up here and shine. Thank you, Frontline. See, that may seem awkward to you, but Pastor Pat and I had a conversation in the office the other day. Pastor Pat said, man, I'm so glad to get a break. I needed a break. He said, you know what's amazing is that we are able to use Elevate as a feeder program for Frontline. He's stealing our people. And that's the way it should be. We have a very small part. I, I have a very small part. And if you know me at all, you know that I don't like to use the word I or me. I, I just that, that goes against my, my grain of, of uh, team concept. So I usually say ours, us, we, things like that. That's just how, that's how I'm wired. Our team did amazing today. Kudos to you guys. I'm going to say that you can expect them to see you can expect to see them a lot more. See, Pastor Pat is supposed to get four Sundays off a year. We're going to give him the opportunity to take four Sundays off. We're going to study on Ezra today. And when I say study, this is exactly what we're going to do. At this point, this is the time in which you get your Bible ready and you start getting your note-taking devices ready. Whether you uh, kick it old school, as the kids say, and take, take down notes with a pencil and a piece of paper, or whether you've got you know, turbo thumbs and you can take it down however. But I believe that when you show up to church, you should have a way to study the Word and you should have a way to write down notes. We're trying to instill that into our kids in the back. We take and we pause, and I just, like I am right now, give you the opportunity to start taking down some notes. But as I was doing this study on Ezra, my mind was awakened. Now, I don't do, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't do a lot of Old Testament studying. Because I think that, you know what, I don't live in Old Testament time. I live in a New Testament time. I don't live under the law. I've been redeemed of the law. But, and everyone say but. But it is a good thing to go back and see who, what, why, and how the, the way was paved. Because we had to get here somehow, some way. We'll study that out today in Ezra. Give you our first bit of scripture. It's in Ezra, Ezra 7.6. It says, Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the Torah of Moses, which the Lord, of, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Father, we thank you for being here with us today. Lord, we ask that you work in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, when we walk away from here, may we have a clearer and a better understanding of your word and your ways. Father, work on us, mind, 
body, and soul. And we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while the Torah or the law was given only once, there were numerous moments in Jewish history in which the the commitment to the Torah came under intense fire and needed to be upheld, if not even re-given. Now, this included the period of the Kazmaname, who valiantly withstood harassment in order to preserve the Torah's purity. Other struggles took place with the Sadducees as well as many others. In each instance, a new leader, someone say a new leader, a new leader arose that refused to relent and heroically took steps to preserve the Torah and its observance amongst the masses. One such man was Ezra. E-Z-R-A. Ezra was active during the years just following the completion of the second temple. So influential that some placed him on a level with Moses, affirming that had Moses not preceded him, Ezra would have been worthy of receiving the Torah for Israel. This was no ordinary average guy. If you were worthy to receive the law, you must have been someone. If Moses had not been there, this guy was next in line. As a guide to the people and a member of the great assembly, Ezra provided strong leadership and a moral conscience to a people that had lost its way. Now, before I go on any further, I hope that you heard what I said there. Ezra provided strong leadership and a moral conscience to a people that had lost its way. In doing this study, one of the things that I noticed so much were the types and shadows of the Old Testament in Ezra's time, even to what life is like today. Because I fully believe that we, we have a generation of individuals out there who need strong leadership and need a moral conscience. Because I believe so many times that we have lost our way. Why can I say that? How do I say that? Because I see what's on the television. I hear what's on the radio. I have little pop-up things on my computer that remind me that the enemy is real. I don't need a date in Richmond, Indiana. Why those pop-ups pop up? Looking for a date? No. Can't even find time to spend time with a woman I'm married to. I have all those headaches at home. I don't need another one. I'm talking about my computer. Nasty things. It would be... Far from an exaggeration to suggest that, if not for Ezra, the overwhelming majority of the Judean community would have disappeared from the historical landscape. Let's get into some history of Ezra. Ezra the scribe arrived in Jerusalem a year following the completion of the temple. Nearly 1,500 men and their families, in addition to 38 Levites who were fit for service in the temple, accompanied him. Upon his arrival, Ezra was faced with unexpected difficulties. Anybody been there? Though the temple had been rebuilt by the time of his appearance on Judean soil, the optimism that accompanied it had failed to overturn years of depressive feelings caused by a failed initial attempt at rebuilding, economic stagnation, and the constant threats from hostile neighbors. Hostile neighbors. Somebody's always got their nose in our business, don't they? Add to that the limited amount of reinforcements and financial support from the church, I mean Babylonia, 
That was that dry humor Pastor was talking about. And corrupt leadership, and it becomes to understand the feeling of hopelessness that had enveloped the community. Hopelessness had enveloped the community. They were hopeless. Ezra was called to a hopeless people. Much like what we're called to here. The sense of surrender had an adverse effect on the Jews' spiritual well-being as well as their emotional well-being. Ezra was greatly distressed at the weak spiritual level that confronted him. Most people were ignorant of the Torah. God help Ezra if he showed up here today. And when I mean here, I mean in this community. I believe he would be sorely disappointed. One bit of commentary states it like this. Upon arrival in the land of Israel, Ezra was shocked and grieved to find that the spiritual standards of his brethren had sank to a dangerous low. They had fallen under the influence of, power, of the powerful Samaritans and of other native tribes, had intermarried with them freely, and a young generation was growing up which was unaware of the great spiritual heritage of Israel. The children did not even know their own Hebrew tongue. It was a foreign concept to them. These children, this next generation that we should be raising up as leaders, didn't even know their native tongue. I equate that to walking into like this Amish super Walmart up in Fountain City. You know what I'm talking about. The place up there where you pay $2.50 and you get a sandwich about like that thick. That's where I go when I'm broke. I'm eating for two days on one of those sandwiches. I walk in there sometimes and they're talking in their native tongue and I have no idea what they're talking about. I can imagine what they're talking about. Fat kid alert. Always wants the hot pepper cheese on the roast beef. Extra horseradish. That guy I take with me. Always wants extra horseradish. Ezra summoned all the people to Jerusalem in an unprecedented display of decisive leadership. He demanded of them to separate from their foreign wives. This brings us to point number one. Here's when you want to, you want to start writing more things down. Somebody has to stand up and be a leader. Someone's got to say enough is enough. I've seen all I can see. Can't take it no more. The people were up to Ezra's challenge and quickly jumped on board. This collective achievement is no way to be minimized. The fact that the Jews willingly dissolved long-standing relationships speaks volumes of their preparedness to restore a higher sense of religious purpose to themselves and their community. Point number two, given the opportunity people want to do right. I fully believe that. Given the opportunity, we want to do right. But someone has to present us with that. In other attempts to distance the Jewish community from recent inroads, Ezra reintroduced the original Hebrew characters. There comes a time where we must get back to the basics. Ezra said, you guys have gotten off track. You've gotten way out there. We've got to get back to what works. We can't keep bringing in newest, latest, greatest, flashy things. Now look, on this stage, we have amazing lights. 
They do a great job. We even have a light program that works off the computer back there. All they do is hold a mouse and they click and it raises all kinds of things. They could change it to whatever they wanted right now. That is amazing. That's great. But does it replace the word? Is there anybody that came here today to watch the lights? From time to time, Ryan has to put new drum heads on the drums. Is there anyone sitting out there that goes, boy, he, I'm going today. I saw on Facebook, Ryan put new drum heads on. That snare's going to pop. You go, Ryan. No. That doesn't replace the word. I hope and I pray that you're coming here to receive the word. That you're coming for competent instruction. Ezra promoted Torah study as a protection against future slippage. He read the Torah aloud to an assembled group of Jewish men and women and challenged them to live lives of integrity. He increased the frequency in which the Torah was studied by instituting a minimal public reading of ten verses on every Monday and Thursday. And some of you get upset because pastor gave you a prayer guide for 40 days. And I don't mean to say some of you, some of us. Because I see that thing laying on my desk every day when I get here. And I'm like, good God. I better dig into that because I know pastor's going to walk in and he's going to say, Hey, did you happen to read the thing today? Man, what that speak to you? Doesn't that just, just get you right in the gut? Yes, pastor. certainly did. What is pastor doing when he does things like that? He's holding me accountable. He's saying, are you doing what you need to be doing for the people? Those that you were called to shepherd, are you doing your part? So that when someone else calls and says, hey, did you have to read the study today? Absolutely. Well, I'm struggling with it. Well, let's see if we can figure this out. We've got to get back to the basics. By establishing the reading on the market days, he ensured the highest possible communal participation. What a concept. What a concept. Here's another point. Take the word to the people. We've been saying it for a long time. I don't believe that Bethesda is called just to reside within these four walls. There's going to be groups of you who are going to go out and you're going to minister to this city. You're going to go out even further and you're going to minister different parts of the state. We have a group that wants to go out and minister to other nations. How awesome is that? Have to increase the numbers of available teachers. Our Wednesday night group, you may not be aware of it, but I pick up a group of uh, students from a couple different schools around town. And each week, I feed these bums. And it is one of the greatest blessings in my life. I don't know if you know what it's like to hang out with a group of uh, about 8, 9, 10 teenagers. It's interesting. And I wouldn't trade that time for anything. And see, some people have asked me, they said, man, don't you get tired of doing that? Yeah, I do. There are some days that I could go home and take a nap. But I understand there's an investment that needs to be made. You see, we do things a little bit different. We gather together and we, a lot of times we'll go to my house and we'll eat around my table. The table at home. 
So I don't know how things were when you were growing up, but when I grew up, the dinner table was where I saw mom struggling to pay the bills. That's where I saw mom wondering how she could make some overtime so that she could make the ends meet. Around my dinner table, I saw that that was where I ate spaghetti every Thursday. Every Sunday, that's where we had fried chicken. And every single night, we had some kind of potato and a loaf of bread. Because those were the things that could stretch. Those were the things that would allow me to get full so that I could last through the night instead of coming down rummaging through an empty refrigerator. My mom understood, got to have food on the table. It may not be what he wants, but this is what he's going to get. So we assemble around our table. And a lot of times I'll make the meal for these guys. And I don't know if they realize it, and they're all here today. So I'm giving up on a lot of my secrets. And that's okay. We eat together, we pray together. We are reestablishing family values. There's value in that kitchen table. We're taking it back to the basics. We're breaking bread together. We're showing how a family unit is supposed to work. And see, I don't mean this to be harsh, but a couple of my kids, they don't have their dads in their lives. Their dads are doing whatever, that, whatever dads that aren't involved in their kids' lives do. I don't know. I take pride in being part of my kids' lives. And see, they don't know this, but every week when I sit around that table with them and we act silly and we clown, my heart breaks for them because I'm substituting myself as their dad. It's not the way it should be. Dad should be in the lives of their kids. Mom should be in the lives of their kids. But they've got to learn from somewhere that there's value in this. That's why I love on them. That's why I hug on them. That's why if I see them at ball games, I ask them, you need anything? Need a Gatorade? Went to a basketball game on Friday night. My wife's sitting there. She's with a group of our students. And she goes, we're, we're going to go buy stuff. I need money. I gave my wife $20. Each item on the menu is about a buck. I didn't get no money back. My wife found kids that she didn't even know to buy stuff for. Oh, you look thirsty, baby. Come on, honey. Oh, you like those peanut M&Ms? Yeah, my husband does too. Here, you can have his. <laughs> How awesome is that? I love that about my wife. My wife's the most giving person in the whole world. Why she chooses me, I have no idea. I'm self-centered. I'll tell the story about my wife one time. We're, have I told you the Walmart story about my wife and the change purse? We're at Walmart one time. This is old Walmart. This is when it was set way, or it was up in the front, you know. Anybody remember that? Up by Golden Corrals where we used to park. We're in there one time, there was this little old lady, I don't know how old she was, but I think she was on Jesus' kickball team. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and my wife, we didn't have kids at this time, tells you how long ago it was. And this little old lady, she's got her change purse, you know, and she's real frail. 
And she's getting her change out. Boom, drops the change. Now, my wife, being the loving, giving individual that she is, did not say a word to her. She just acted out of instinct. She acted out of love. And she bent down and she started picking up the change for this lady. And this lady looked at my wife. That's my change! And proceeded to beat my wife with the coin purse. It was great. Because I did one of these things as my wife's bent down. I'm like... I went to the car, had it warmed for her when she got back. She was acting out of love. We've got to start acting out of love. Amen? Why did Ezra do this? Because he loved the Jewish people. He knew that there needed to be teaching. He knew that someone needed to show them love. He knew that we needed to get back on track. He knew that someone had to step up and be a leader. Despite all these tremendous achievements, Ezra was not completely successful in his mission. Certain religious and material problems remain unsolved. A small percentage of the people refuse to divorce their foreign wives. Others continue to conduct business on the Sabbath. Still others were negligent in their duty to contribute to the required tithes to the priests and the Levites. It seems as though we are always going to have to fight the opposition. It's always going to be there. We've got to press through. It appears that Ezra was a person of significance in Persia before he assumed the role of religious leader of the Jewish community, serving as the person in charge of Jewish affairs. A priest by birth and a scholar by profession, he was a natural leader for the Jewish brethren. Here's what we've got to do. We've got to recognize our strengths and what it was, the God-given gifts that we were born with, and someone has to answer the calling. Ezra was up to the task. I'm going to ask this. Are you? Are we? There's a generation of young people and there's a generation of individuals who absolutely need the instruction. Like many great leaders in Jewish history, Ezra combined temporal and and religious leadership. He supplied the people with a governance and a voice to the Persian overlords. More importantly, he provided much-needed spiritual guidance in a time when extreme measures were required to stop the downward slide. Ezra was also a scribe. And the term scribe was used in ancient times to refer to those copyists who were responsible to reproduce important manuscripts. In Persia, these scribes were held in great esteem, and as they were generally of the most knowledgeable men in the community. For the Jews who lived there, scribes played an important role in preserving the Torah and other important works. Later, the term took on a wholly different meaning, referring to those whose mission was to correct interpretation and dissemination of Jewish law. Ezra is the first known member of this group, and Ezra did little writing in the classic sense of, a scri- of the scribe, but he did author the book of Ezra and other parts of Chronicles. Now, his primary focus was recommend, or recommitting the Jewish people to a life of strict adherence to the Torah and its commandments. We're going to look at another bit of Scripture, Ezra 9.3. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to explain the law of the Lord to, and to do it, and to teach Israel law and judgments. I'm going to ask you this. Who in our generation is going to take a stand and help get us back on track? Who's going to be a modern-day Ezra? 
for all these scribes who followed Ezra during the years of the Great Assembly and beyond, the goal was very much the same. No longer was writing the, per- was writing the focus. From this point onward, the objective became expounding what was already put into writing and perpetuating the oral law. Much of what we do today, we cannot rewrite the Bible. You understand that, right? The Bible is the Bible. It's done. It's finished. All we can do now is study it and take it to the people. All we can do is help guide, direct, and instruct. That's all we can do with it. But it has to be taken to the people. Originally, the Torah was given to Israel in Hebrew characters and in the Hebrew language. Later, in the times of Ezra, the Torah was given in Azareth script and Aramaic language. Listen, you can change the method, but you can never change the message, and the message must be taken to the people. I'm going to say that again. You can change the method, but you can never change the message. To sum this up, why do we do this? Why do we study these things? Why does Pastor Pat get up here and sing his heart out? Why does Pastor Pat or why does Pastor Harris get up here and teach and teach and teach and get all sweaty and then go love on people? I'm not saying that's a knock. I'm saying that's energy. That man is passionate about what he does. He doesn't just stand up here and go, "Well, someone get your Bibles out." Praise the Lord, brethren. No, he's passionate about it. That's why he gets up here and he jumps and he screams and he runs around. Because some way, somehow, he's got to make an impact in our lives. you got to do what you got to do. And the man's good at doing what he does. Why do we do this? Come up with an amazing thing. Pastor knocked it out of the ballpark with this when he said, Hashtag... This is my city. We do this because this is our city. This is our community. And it's a worthwhile investment. We should be getting to the people. We should be loving on the people. We should be coddling them. Instructing them. Letting them know that they're worthy. Proverbs 22.6 says this. This is a New Living Translation. It says, direct your children. Whose children? Your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, some of you know that a little bit different. You know that as raise up a child. I don't care if you got to go get a neighbor kid. Raise them up. Sow into their lives. Neighbor kids are worth it. We cannot continue to allow Barney and Blue's Clues to raise our kids and then wonder why they never look to us for instruction or as a person of authority. It's a Blue's Clues generation. What do we do? We set our kids down in front of a screen and we say, stay. That's what we tell animals to do. We don't take our kids by our side anymore. Should we be? Absolutely. Sometimes my son hates it, but I ask him to go out in the barn with me. And I ask him just to help me work on stuff. He doesn't understand, I don't think, what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show him how to work with tools. Because I know how important they are. I know what it's like to have to try and fix your own stuff around your house. I hate to admit it, but there are times I get a sense of satisfaction. I love 
when my wife comes home and I have a big pile of stuff just sitting there and she goes, well, what is that? Well, that's part of the lawnmower. <laughs> Think it's ever going to run again? Going to run like a champ. See that right there? It's called a governor. Took it off. It used to limit how fast it would go. Now it's unlimited. She just shakes her head. She's like, okay. Tear it up. You got to fix it. Trying to, I'm not trying to show my kid how to tear stuff up. I'm trying to show him the value of fixing things in your life. Because if you can fix this part, you can gain the confidence to fix this part. And if you can fix that part and you get pretty good at it, you may even be able to go out and help someone else fix their stuff. Ezra 7, 6. Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the Torah of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all that he asked for, for the hand of God, for the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Elevate, would you guys come back up? God's hands upon some people today. God's hands upon these students and these leaders. It may have tripped you up a little bit when I read from the New Living Translation. You may say, well, I don't study that way. Okay. You have to understand something about me. I have to read through several different versions of the Bible. I've got the scripture in mind and I'm like, you know what? I like that. It kind of speaks to me. But I've got to go find one that really hits me in the gut. So I'll study from all kinds of different translations. And when I saw that today, or when I saw that the other day, where it said direct your children under the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. I wanted to share with someone to direct your children. Get back to the basics in your house. Make time for your kids. Maybe your kids are gone. Maybe your kids are grown. How about you give them a call and say, hey, can I have those grandbabies? I want to show them some stuff. Nobody wants their grandkids to come to their house. (laughs) I don't want them demons. Put fingerprints all over my new stainless appliances. Got to wipe it off. It's a good problem to have. When you got to clean up your house after people, that means something amazing happened. It means people felt comfortable enough to come into your house and mess it up. Ezra's work was messy. And he knew that the children needed to be set in a new direction. I know God's hands upon some powerful people in this place. These are the same people that have the potential to be powerful leaders. And these people, I believe, are you. See, you come here week in and week out. You're looking for something. It's here. Grab a hold of it. God has presented you with great leadership. Take time to learn from them. 
God has also ingrained into you an ability to learn. Please, 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 for your sake, for those children's sakes, for those demonic little grandkids, for their sake, and I mean, I'm joking when I say that. Kind of. Instruct. Learn for them. Learn with them. Just as God's hand was upon Ezra, know that His hand is upon you. Are you willing to answer the call and become even more powerful of a leader? And are you willing to help guide this church and its people in a new and exciting direction? I'm asking that of you. And I don't mean to ask that of you to, to hold you down or to bind you. I mean that so that you can live in freedom. You can live in a freedom that, it, that God has called you to instruct, to love, and to live amongst these people. That's a good thing. Freedom. Father God, I hope and I pray that somehow, some way, we were able to give insight into your word and to your ways. Now, Father, over these people, Father, I pray that they would be able to take that as a tangible gift. They could hide it in their minds and in their hearts. And, Lord, they could go out from this place. They could teach. They could love. They could guide. And they could direct. Lord, be with each and every one of us. We thank you. We praise you. You're not released just yet. I want you to get back in it with these guys.